Hi, I'm Ryder Hask, and you're listening to the People's TV Podcast. What I hope people take away is this idea that if Adi can see humor, can see hope, can see purpose in what is really the most devastating and kind of meaningless situation, if you can find meaning in that, then I think all of us can find meaning and purpose. That's Nicholas Bruckman the director of People's Television's new feature documentary, Not Going Quietly. In this episode, Nick and I talk about the backstory of Adi Barkin, who is the main character of Not Going Quietly. We also discuss our filmmaking process before and now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for listening. All right, Nick. Thanks for joining us again on the podcast here. How are you doing right now? Thanks. I'm doing well. Everybody's safe and everybody's healthy in my family, so I can't complain. Awesome. So tell me about Not Going Quietly, your third feature film. Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to talk to you about it. So Not Going Quietly is my second feature documentary as a, as a director. People's also produced the narrative film Valley of Saints before this, but from a documentary perspective, this is our second feature. And I've been working on it for two and a half years, ever since I met Adi Barkin, who is a prolific activist and organizer who lives in Santa Barbara, California. Adi's story begins really ages ago when he was a young man who, as a lifelong activist, Adi had always fought for various social justice causes. And he had a rising career, and he had been married recently, and he had a beautiful son named Carl. And right at that time, he suddenly started feeling a little bit of weakness in his left hand, and he thought it was carpal tunnel syndrome or something that he could just ignore. And as he says, like lightning out of a clear blue sky, he was diagnosed with ALS, which is a terminal illness that attacks the motor neurons and causes complete paralysis and and death over generally two to four years. Adi had his whole life in front of him. He had this great career, this young family. But when that was taken away from him, I think a lot of people, and it relates a lot to what's happening in the in the pandemic in the world right now, which is that I think a lot of people feel a lot of despair. People feel a lot of grief, a lot of loss for what could have been with their work, with their families, with everything that they had planned, which has now been been cut short. And Adi had experienced that in this profound personal way. And where I think a lot of people would step back, a lot of people would grieve or retreat into the personal, Adi did the opposite. Adi had really spent his whole career as a community organizer and activist telling other people's stories. He'd worked on immigrants' rights issues. He'd worked on transforming the Federal Reserve. But now that this had happened to him, this diagnosis, it really became his story that had this power. And so he started telling his own story of what had happened to him and his own battle with the insurance companies and and with the healthcare system. And right around that time, um, Congress proposed a tax cut that was going to cut into healthcare. Um, It was going to cut into Medicare and Medicaid. And Adi decided in his wheelchair to go to Washington, D.C. and to tell his story and to confront the politicians directly in an amazing turn of events as he's leaving. He runs into a young woman named Liz Jaff, who's the second main character of the film. And he tells her and the gangway what he was doing and why he was in D.C. He's walking with a cane. And she says, well, it's funny you should say that because uh, Senator Jeff Flake, who's the deciding vote on this bill, he's a Republican that many thought could be swayed towards voting no on this. He was on that plane. 
And Adi said, well, let's go talk to him. And Liz, uh, who he's just met, films this conversation that Adi has with Jeff Flake. And in the conversation, Adi pleads to Jeff Flake at a very personal level to be a hero, to do the right thing, to vote no on this and to protect Americans' health care. And, and Liz posts the video of this interaction, which is incredibly powerful, to Twitter. And by the time the plane lands, the video has gone viral. It's been seen by millions of people. And Adi becomes the face of the healthcare movement. And I think what is so amazing about this is Adi, of course, is so relatable and sympathetic as a young father who was losing so much and had so much at stake in this bill. But what makes the moment so incredible is that Adi had also trained his whole life on how to talk to politicians and how to speak truth to power and trained other activists. So he was prepared for this moment to talk policy, to speak personally, and to make this powerful message resonate. And from that video and from that exchange, Liz and Adi launch a movement called Be a Hero, named after his words to Senator Flake, his plea to be a hero and do the right thing. This is the moment where myself and you, Ryder, and uh, the producer Amanda Roddy and the People's Television crew uh, met Adi um, to do a launch video for the Be a Hero campaign. And as soon as we met him, we knew that this was going to be a story that really only began at this point, um, that what Adi's work was doing, even though he was at that point already, uh, you know, semi-paralyzed and would soon lose all of his physical abilities, we knew that his work was just beginning. And so we've spent the time in the two and a half years since documenting Adi's incredible rise to prominence. He's now, you know, in many circles, a household name. Documenting that whole rise has been a really incredible experience for me personally, and I think a very inspiring and even in some ways therapeutic experience because I think what it's taught me more than anything, and I think what relates so much to what's happening in the world right now is that really no matter what your circumstances, there is something that you can do to make the world better. And Adi's circumstances are so extreme. And even in that state, Adi continues fighting for social justice. That's the story of this film. That's the message of the film is that, you know, we do what we can uh, with the time that we have and with the abilities that we have, which Adi's father uh, poignantly told him after his diagnosis. And I think it's a message that's incredibly important right now to make the metaphor more direct. The world has been paralyzed, much in the ways that Adi's body has been paralyzed. And so we're now um, regrouping and re-strategizing on the best way to launch the film and to bring Adi's story to the world. Amazing. I'd like to hear from you if there is a moment you can remember where you knew this was going to be your next feature film, where you knew this was a bigger story, that you knew this was going to be something you're going to spend the next two and a half years on. Good question. There were a couple of moments. I think on one hand, it was really from the moment we met him. I, I remember that the very first shoot that you and I did with him, we hadn't even discussed making a film. And we told him at the end of the interview, Adi, I think after hearing everything that you just said, I think there's a really good chance we might want to make a movie about you. And, um, you know, would you be willing now to record a call to action for a potential crowdfunding campaign for this film, uh, should it exist in the future? And he said, yeah, of course. And the reason we had to do it now and then was because Adi was losing his voice. 
and he really only had months left to speak. So I think it was really the moment we met him that we knew there was a potential, and it was really because of the power of the things he said. It wasn't because he was dying. It was really, and when I say the things he said, it wasn't just that they were such profound statements about democracy and reimagining our collective futures, which is what inspires him so much, but also his sense of humor about himself, his self-deprecating quality, his realness, his like <laughs> kind of filthy sense of humor and openness and reflectiveness on his own mortality that I thought was so attractive and made you want to be in his presence and made you feel comfortable thinking about those issues for yourself and felt so universal. Yeah, he's definitely an authentic character. <laughs> he says what's on his mind and he's very clear about it and he's not really concerned about ruffling some feathers. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that he almost knew himself from the very beginning that there was going to be a documentary about him. I don't know if that really was his intention early on, but he started self-documenting on his phone pretty much as soon as he got his diagnosis, right? That's right. Yeah, Adi, very fortunately, and it's hard to say exactly why he did it. If it was because he knew uh, one day somebody would want to make a film about him, he does joke a bit about his ego and self-importance and always wanting to be the center of attention despite his uh, uh, circumstances or maybe because of them. But uh, he took videos after he was diagnosed every day for a month on his iPhone. And of course, some of those videos appear in the documentary and they're they're very real and very raw because they show, you know, what's really, I think, unfathomable for anybody else, the reaction to being told the news that you've only got three to four years to live, that you were going to lose your ability to walk and your ability to eat and ultimately your ability to breathe. And in the videos already, even in the days after his diagnosis, which were before I met him before we began the film. You can see how extraordinary he is in the way that he processes the information and the way that he starts to immediately develop a sense of how he's going to make meaning of this and how he's going to transform this into something positive. And he doesn't do it yet. He doesn't discover that yet, I think, until sometime later, really when he confronts Jeff Flake and launches the Be a Hero movement, that he realizes how his ALS can actually be a tool, can actually be a, a weapon to create social change. But you see inklings of it even right away. And I think that really speaks to his character. And again, that, that core message of what the film is about, that our stories have power and that even the most tragic one can be turned into a force for good. Yeah, I am very grateful that Adi was doing that self-documentation early on because often a crew is not following a story from the very beginning. You, you just have this black hole and, and have to figure out ways to illustrate what happened in the past. But with Adi, he has these testimonials that are the really the best way for the storytellers to see what it was like for him in those early days to show the, the sort of complete arc and evolution. And, and thankfully, there was some other archival footage of him as a young organizer. So that was really helpful with supplementing what is, for the rest of it, a very much like real-time verite documentary, right? Yeah, that's right. The archival with Adi is so precious to see him in his prime and before he'd begun to lose his voice. Um, it's so powerful to see that in contrast to who he is now. And of course, you see in that footage 
not so much how he's changed, but actually how he's remained the same, which is what's so powerful about him. And we were lucky that it exists. There wasn't as much of it as we wanted. We were we knocked down every door um, to find old clips and videos of him. His family wasn't a very home video family. They, you know, there's very little of him in his early childhood. So it actually wasn't a situation where we just had this amazing abundance of archive. We actually really had to dig for it. And we're only able to find very a few very specific clips, but they you know, were the ones that we needed to tell the story. Going back to your other point, just about when we decided to make the film, I think the other real catalyst for it and the the two other dynamics that you see play out in the film are, are one, when Adi and Liz, his new partner in crime of the Be A Hero movement, decide to launch a tour to cross the country and go to the districts of the representatives who voted for this tax cut that would cut into healthcare. And their plan is to go around confront them, capture Adi confronting them or their staff on camera, bring other people with healthcare stories to those staffers to tell their stories, much in the way Adi told his story to Jeff Flake, create online videos about that, post them, and help try to mobilize people to vote against those reps and really get vengeance over the representatives that aren't doing right by their constituents and aren't doing right by Americans by taking away healthcare for people like Adi. And as a filmmaker, I was really attracted to that idea for a story, not just because of the classic road trip uh, cinematic experience, but really because of this idea of traveling the country and telling stories of bringing sick people to confront politicians and using those stories and putting those on camera. And really what he was doing and what Be a Hero is doing is making these little pieces of media, making these short films in a way. Of course, they're doing it on Twitter and with cell phones. But it's like a it's a movement of stories being used as, again, tools for social change. And so as a filmmaker, I was really attracted to that idea of following a movement of storytelling and seeing how stories in real time, in short, specific way could impact an election. A couple of interesting points there. One is I'll never forget when you were shooting scenes for the film so it was me recording a on a nice camera and then you had one cell phone in the vertical position recording for a live stream and then a second iphone recording in the horizontal orientation dual wielding these iphones in addition to me shooting so we somehow managed to have a live stream a wide and and a cinema camera all going at the same time (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, there's a lot of mixed media in the in the film for that reason. And a lot of the really powerful footage in the film, of course, much of it was shot by you, but the stuff that wasn't was shot by non-professionals. It was shot by activists with cell phones, and including Liz, who captures the original video, him and Adi, and that this whole, you know, undercurrent of the way people are now empowered to tell their own stories, which I think is the way the world has, one of the ways the world has changed the most drastically in my time as a filmmaker. That's kind of one of the undercurrents that the film is exploring and how these, not just our our personal stories combined with these new tools being so ubiquitous and so democratic, how that force combined can be used to build democracy. Absolutely. It's, it makes it a film that's very unique to our current time, for sure. Tell me about where the film is as it stands now. What stage are you at? And I'd also like to hear how you've been able to adapt to the situation that we're in with COVID-19 and, and everything suddenly 
turning into work from home or remote collaborations? Yeah, uh, the film was uh, nearly complete. It is nearly complete and was scheduled initially to premiere next week at the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival, which we were all really excited about because it's a really prestigious festival and it's right here in our hometown of New York and Adi's family is here and Adi was slated to fly out from Santa Barbara to New York to attend the premiere along with a lot of political and other celebrities who support Adi and have been supportive of the film. And so we were obviously really devastated by the fact that the festival was postponed. Of course, we are in a very big boat, uh, you know, firstly with other filmmakers, like from the South by Southwest Film Festival, which was also uh, canceled this year. And then, you know, really all of the world's filmmakers. And then, of course, everybody in the world, because all events, as we know, have been have been postponed this year. And so I think there's a kind of, you know, obviously disappointment and loss in this Adi having this moment and this film having this moment to come out. But I think there's also a kind of solidarity between creatives and actually, you know, I hope emerges from this solidarity of the whole world that's experiencing this, I think, uniquely connected experience, I guess, uniquely disconnected in that we're all unable to physically connect, but connected by the internet and connected by the shared experience of global pandemic. You know, the obvious irony here is that Adi has been spent the last several years and what the film tracks is Adi's struggle to create universal health care and to create a more equitable health system that is uh, so clearly needed, especially in the United States, as you can see, as a result of this pandemic. And then the film festival telling his story, you know, about his fight for health care was postponed by a global health crisis. And so... I guess this is all to say that from our perspective, the film is just as timely as ever, if not more so, because I think what's happened in the world has revealed how right Adi was. I think what the pandemic shows is that what happens to the health of the most vulnerable amongst us affects everyone, not just because it's the moral or right thing to do to protect and have a safety net for those at the bottom, but because in a very literal sense, the health of people at the bottom transmit and spread infection to other strata of society. And therefore, if we want everybody to be safe and healthy, then we need to provide that by providing universal access to healthcare that's not related to your job or your income. And so that message, I think, is just as profound as ever. And so what we are currently working on and thinking about is, you know, alternate strategies to bring out the film into the world as soon as possible. We're not sure what that date will be, but we do have a great team working on this film behind the scenes and working on the sales and distribution and marketing strategy for the film behind the scenes. And I'm hoping that in subsequent podcasts, we will be able to reveal how, where, and when the film will be released um, because we want it to come out as soon as it can. Yeah, it was such a strange coincidence to look back at the original Jeff Flake on a plane video, and what he's asking for in that video is, I'm going to need a ventilator. <laughs> and now here we're hearing that every day about how critical it is to make more ventilators and make them available. Right. More than anything that I'm thinking and concerned about beyond the film is that Adi is now on that ventilator and has been for several months, but it goes without saying that he would be very vulnerable to this uh, disease if he were to catch it. And so that's kind of everybody's first priority is for Adi to stay healthy and of course this to pass in the, with the least uh, impact on the world. So yeah, that's on my mind as well. So 
just tell me a little bit about that remote collaboration because I think there's something other filmmakers could learn from this, talking about your experience working with your producer and your editor, being used to sitting next to each other in the edit bay and having that direct communication. All of a sudden, now you're all separated and but still needing to create the same work. Like, What was the transition like? And maybe what if, if you could share if you've learned anything from in that process. I know it's only been a couple weeks now, but... I'm sure that there's some takeaways you've had so far on on the the differences or similarities or pros and cons of that. Yeah. So we all, you know, in mid-March, as it became clear that social distancing was going to be necessary, we all took our respective workstations home and closed the People's TV office in Midtown Manhattan. We hopefully temporarily, and we both for our commercial and nonprofit and advocacy work, as well as the documentary film post-production team all began working remote. And that core team is uh, myself, the editor, Kent Bassett, the producer, Amanda Roddy, the assistant editor, Claudia Tani. And we also have an archivist working on the film and licensing some of the archival footage. We've also been working remotely, writer and shooting additional pickup shots for the film and you sending me frames of those on on Slack or on text message. And I would say that it is possible. I think there is something in the editorial process, just like in production, where one really wants to sit with the editor and feel the rhythm and the pacing and the emotion of a scene live and make changes in the timeline. But that being said, it is possible to do without those things. We're not using any um, particularly high-tech live editing solution, although those do exist. What we're doing is really just having daily phone calls and then using Vimeo software review to post cuts and write notes and then talk about them. And that, of course, has been something that everybody's familiar with now in the post-production world in the last couple of years, that you can comment directly on videos, which I think probably seems like not a big deal, except in the past, it didn't used to work that way. You had to actually write your notes up separately. And so even those basic tools that are now ubiquitous have made it a lot easier. And obviously the ubiquity of video chat has made it possible for people to stay connected. I I will say that I really miss uh, working with editors in person. I think it's definitely my preferred way to work as a director and, and as a producer. But, you know, we've made it work and we're now, you know, working in Google Docs and on Vimeo and debating nuanced notes and sending photos of frames or sending 15 second exports of sequences and quickly reviewing them and turning around feedback as we work towards the picture lock of the film. We're working remotely with the composer who's doing the music and the uh, motion graphics team at Odd in the, in the same way. Thinking about the audience, who is this film for and what would you hope that they take away from it after watching it? Great question. The audience for the film is very broad. The film obviously has a social justice message that we've been talking about quite a bit, but I hope that when audiences see the film, they don't see it as a polemic or an essay or a diatribe about how they should feel. I, I, I hope that they see it as actually a father and son story, as a love story between Adi and his wife, as a buddy comedy between him and Liz and, and Nate and Helen and the others um, who go on the Be a Hero tour. It's a universal story, I think, of overcoming adversity that I hope people find uplifting, not just on a political or activist level. And I think those audiences could be young people and politically engaged and activist people like Adi. It could also be people who are older and people with disabilities who can relate to Adi, who 
face the same same challenges and adversity as that Adi does. I think across all of those audiences, what I hope people take away is this idea that if Adi can see humor, can see hope, can see purpose in what is really the most devastating and kind of meaningless situation, if you can find meaning in that, then I think all of us can find meaning and purpose in whatever we're going through, whether it's a global pandemic, which obviously has a lot to teach us as a society, whether it's a personal illness, whether it's a death or a loss or a cancellation of your creative endeavor. I think the obstacles can actually be the thing that creates the path forward. I find personally to be very moving and hopeful and what made me attracted to telling the story. And I hope I can make other people feel the way Adi makes me feel in that way. If there's a political issue in the film at its core, I think it's that we should come together as a society and provide universal single-payer healthcare, um, whether that looks like Medicare for all or a public option or uh, however we get towards that goal that we head there as quickly as we can as a society in the United States and, and globally. You know, beyond that, I think Adi's core message is really that we participate in the collective and that our needs and our desires are part of a, as he says in the movie, are part of something bigger than ourselves. He says often that the cure for the problems with American democracy is more democracy, meaning more participation, more more activism, more advocacy, more fighting for not just oneself and one's family, but for greater society, I think is, you know, obviously a broad brush and a lofty goal, but that's what Adi embodies. So tell me about the most difficult part of this entire process. If there's some element of production or post-production or anything related to producing the film that you look at as like one of the biggest hurdles that you've been trying to deal with? Yeah, I think the, the editorial process has been very you know challenging. I think everybody who's edited a documentary would agree. We have about 400 hours of footage that is being cut into a approximately 90 minute movie. So it requires tons of decisions. There's many different movies that could be made with this footage and we want to make the right one and do, do right by Adi. The business side of independent cinema, documentary or otherwise, is very challenging right now um, in the age of streaming consolidation that has really changed the film industry writ large, but I think has been particularly hard for independent filmmakers like ourselves. That's been challenging. We um, are really grateful to have really great partners on this film, namely uh, Duplass Brothers Productions, uh, Mark and Jay Duplass and the company president, Mel Islin, who um, have been really supportive of the film for the last year and have helped us get the film finished and out into the world and our executive producers of the film, as well as Bradley Whitford, star of West Wing and uh, Handmaid's Tale, and who is um, a great advocate and activist himself, personal friend of Adi's, who's helped us tell the story and helped us with financing and amongst other folks who I should mention as well, like uh, Pat Ma Productions, um, Nina Tassler and Joan Borstein who've uh, also helped support the film. And I think we'll all be part of a kind of coalition that we're going to build to get the film out in the widest way possible. Well, thank you, Nick. This has been really fun. Thank you, Redder. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to catch our next episode.